are listening to the Devil's Talking Potters podcast for East Village Times. Coming to you from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication, here are your hosts, Dominic Stern and Bobby Murphy. How's it going, everyone? The intro lied. This is Devil's Talking Padres. Just Dominic today. Bobby is in Vegas this weekend. So as many of you know or are familiar with Vegas, you are often very busy and very caught up with things. So Bobby's not able to join me this episode for Devil's Talking Padres. That is fine. However, I am very capable of doing a show on my own. I've done it in the past and I will do it again This episode, we will be, or I will be, recapping the series against the Philadelphia Phillies and previewing the series against the Washington Nationals. I'll just let you know now. There's no guest for this episode. I know I was going to be recording this on the 4th, and I figured I didn't need to reach out to any of my Nationals friends about being a guest because I didn't want to guilt them into not doing anything on the 4th of July and... Or just even bother them. So I just I just said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go solo on this one. If you'd like to be a guest in the future and talk about the Padres, you can reach out to me on Twitter at DMstern19. This is Devil's Talking Padres. We recap every single series and we preview every single series here. So if you aren't followed or subscribed to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to, go make sure to do that. As Bobby and I, we uh, were busy making this podcast for you. So we appreciate the support. And this is an East Village Times podcast. Make sure to check out our content at eastvillagetimes.com. I wrote the recap for today, today being Sunday's recap. So that was that was fun. And I write a lot of articles for the site. So make sure to show the support over there. Let's get into the series. The Padres, they ended up losing this three-game set in Philadelphia. And the Phillies, I mean, they're not the greatest team in the world, but they certainly are a talented team. So any given time, if their talent shows up, you can lose that series. And I'd say they showed up pretty well series, uh, with the exception of the third game. The Padres, they lost game one, four to three in extra innings. They lost game two, four to two. And the Potters were victorious in game three, 11 to one. So I'm going to start by talking about this first game. And this game was started by Chris Paddock. And I'll start there. Paddock had an excellent start. The beginning of this game was not very good, though, as he allowed two runs in the first inning. It was just a couple of singles. But that's all it takes for Chris Paddock sometimes. And we've seen him a lot of times get hit hard early allow some runs, and it just falls apart. But Chris, he stuck with it, and he had a fantastic start going seven innings, only allowing four hits, and he allowed two of those in the first inning. So that that can explain that. Three earned runs, so that's a quality start right there, going at least six innings and allowing three or less runs. Only one walk, five strikeouts. I mean, that's we're not seeing a ton of strikeouts from Chris this year, but uh, five and seven is are right around where he's been, uh, possibly a little bit lower. 95 pitches, so that's, of course, really good to see from Paddock. 67 of them were strikes, so he was in the zone a lot in the start. Over two-thirds of his pitches were strikes. ERA now down to 4.56 on the year. Chris certainly pitched well enough for the Potters to win the game. I think that's what you got to say about the start. A lot of his recent starts have been good, so you certainly like to see that from Paddock. Obviously, his last start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, he didn't even finish three innings, so this was certainly a really good bounce-back start. For Paddock, you'll love to see it because when Paddock is pitching well, he makes this rotation so much better because he, of course, is the fourth or the fifth best starter that the San Diego Padres have. 
The Padres offense, however, they were stifled throughout the game. And you can't really blame the Padres too much because they were going up against one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, Zach Wheeler. Wheeler's ERA after this game is now down to 2.05. So, and him going seven and two thirds scoreless, that's not the first time he's done that. In fact, it's not the second or the third time. He's had a ton of really good starts and he works very deep into games. He pitched 114 pitches, struck out nine Padres. The Padres were able to get four hits off him. Only one of them was an extra base hit, and that was a Fernando Tatis double. So they didn't get much going on Wheeler, but as soon as the Phillies went into their very bad bullpen, which Bobby and I highlighted on the last episode, the Potters were able to get things going in the ninth inning. They were able to get three runs across against Jose Alvarado and then Ranger Suarez, who they brought in to relieve Alvarado. He allowed the rest of Alvarado's runs. They weren't Suarez's runs, but he was pitching when they got in. And the Potters, you know... Every time you're watching the Padres, you got to watch all nine innings if possible because this stuff happens a lot. Now, I think this was more of something about the Philadelphia Phillies than I think it was about the Padres, but the Padres is no quitting them. And that's exactly what you love to see. Now, go to the 10th inning. You have the runner on second base and Victor Caratini, the Padres eighth hitter in the lineup. He ended the ninth inning, meaning that he is the runner on second base to start the 10th inning. And Caratini, he's the catcher. He's not fast. I mean, there's no other really way to go about saying that. Nothing wrong with that. He's the catcher. It's not his job to be fast. But the Padres, they opted to pinch run Jorge Mateo, which is basically Jorge Mateo's biggest asset to this team, being a pinch runner. And they didn't call a steal or anything. And with Jorge Mateo replacing Caratini in the eighth spot, now the ninth spot is leading off the 10th inning. So Hassan Kim came off the bench and pinch hit. With this current situation, now you've used two bench players to start the setting. And there's only one bench player left in this game, which is Webster Rivas, who will have to come into Mateo to catch the 10th inning. So in essence, you're, empty, you're emptying the bench here. And I think that's fine. But what Jace Ting was said post game was that they gave Hassan Kim the option to bunt. And I think that is a very huge mistake because Kim... We've seen it several times. He's not a great bunter, which is fine. I don't think bunting is all that important in baseball. Sure, it's awesome to bunt. There are situations where it is certainly helpful, but I think top of the 10th, the opposing team's going to start with a runner on second. You have the runner on second, and there's nobody out. I don't want to try and give up a free out to try and move that runner over to third, especially when it's Jorge Mateo, and he's going to score on a base hit guaranteed. So you're giving yourself less chances to drive him in. Now, if he gets the third, obviously he scores on a sack fly. He might score on a ground ball to an infielder. He might score on a pass ball. He scores on a balk, but that's it. That's really it. So I personally, in the top of the 10th, and just in these extra innings as the road team swing away. Now, for the home team, the, the winning team, if you're the home team and the road team does not score, bunt, get the guy over to third, give yourself as many opportunities or ways to get him home as possible that I am for but as the road team I do not like the Potters bunting and they made the right decision by not telling Kim to bunt but they also made the wrong decision by letting him make the decision himself tell Ha Sung Kim to swing Kim has been proving that he is a better hitter than what he showed us early in the year and Kim he's still somewhat adjusting to playing in the major leagues and giving him that decision is making him think in the box about other stuff than what he should just be doing. Like, hey, 
Go up there and swing the bat, Kim. Go drive in Jorge Mateo. Go do that. And you know what? If Kim hits a ground ball to the right side, that's the same as a bunt. But you're giving yourself the chance at getting the hit in that situation too. So you're making Kim think up there, and he decided to bunt. It was a bad bunt. It was like a line drive bunt that Alec Bohm, the Phillies third baseman, ended up catching. And they didn't get Mateo over to third. Then Tommy Pham struck out. And then Cronenworth got out. The Potters didn't score. Austin Adams comes in for the ninth. They intentionally walk Travis Jankowski, who was the leadoff batter. And then he strikes out Didi Gregorius. And then he's up 0-2 on Brad Miller. And Austin Adams, you know, he throws his slider. And his slider is a very effective pitch. And Austin Adams has been so good for the San Diego Padres. He's been unreal. He hung a slider to, to Brad Miller. And when you throw 90-plus percent sliders like Austin Adams does... You're not always going to get them in great locations. And this certainly wasn't one of them, but it can still be an effective pitch because in the back of their mind, that can still be a fastball that's starting on the inside corner or the outside corner to Brad Miller. And if he's simply just sitting slider and he sees that pitch, it's a strike. He has no time to react to that. So it wasn't a good pitch by Austin Adams, but I'm certainly wasn't mad at him. And I wasn't going to blame this game on him. It, it, it just it was a game that the Potters frankly shouldn't have won uh, with the way that Zach Wheeler pitched. So the fact that the Potters were even in the game, I think, was pretty incredible. Now, they ultimately ended up having to waste two bullpen arms in Stamon and Adams just to lose this game in the 10th. But I was not mad at the Padres and I wasn't mad at Austin Adams, certainly in this game. And Adams, he's had a control problem. Guess what? He threw eight pitches, seven of them were strikes. So. I see that as a good thing from Adams. It just was unfortunate that his 0-2 pitch against Brad Miller was not a good one. Game two. Disclaimer, I did not watch any of this game. I was working all Saturday afternoon as an umpire, so I didn't see anything from this game. I watched some highlights. I was getting the alerts, but that is it from my end. Saying that ahead of time, so that way you, uh, you don't get confused by anything if I happen to be wrong. Hopefully I'm not, but... In this game, Manny Machado, first inning, two-run bomb. Great start for the San Diego Padres. And the Padres have been really good of late during this really good stretch since they went home to San Diego in front of the sold-out crowds by scoring multiple runs in the first inning. So you're already thinking, all right, Padres are already up 2-0 in the first inning. They're going to win this game. Simply was not the case. Padres ended up not scoring the rest of the game after that Machado home run. And you Darvish, you didn't have a great game. I mean, we're saying that, but he still went six innings and four runs, but six hits and a walk. It wasn't his best stuff from what I what I saw, but he still struck out eight and he gave the Potters six innings of work. So they only had to use two bullpen arms, which set them up to be in a good spot for when Blake Snell only gave them four innings on Sunday. I will talk about that in a little bit. But just looking at the box score from this game, Padres only got four hits. Fernando Tatis Jr. got one of them. Manny Machado's home run. Trent Grisham and Eric Hosmer were the other two Padres to get a hit. So not a good offensive performance in another game where you look at it and you say, you know, the Padres got out hit then they deserve to win. And that's all I'm going to say about this game, because like I said, I ain't watch it. I'm not going to pretend to know stuff that I don't. I come on here and I just tell you what I know. Game number three. This was the game the Padres were victorious in 11 to one. Once again, back to back games with a first inning home run off the bat of Manny Machado was an incredible at bat. I believe it was 11 pitches and Machado, he took advantage of a 3-2 pitch that Vince Flags has made a mistake on and he did not miss it. 
Third inning comes around. Manny Machado hits another home run. This one was an on. This one was a three-run home run on an 0-2 pitch for Manny Machado, and the pitch was up top above the strike zone. Didn't matter. Manny, he got his hands up to the fastball, and I was listening to the national broadcast. And don't get me wrong, I love Don and Mud. I love Jesse. I love all the Potters announcers, but. I don't get Pally Sports, so I have to like illegally stream these games. So the fact that I was just able to watch the game on TBS today with a very great crew and Brian Anderson and Ron Darling, I think they do a great job with games. Just made it easier. And they were talking about how Manny Machado's swing is just so crisp and so clean. And it's not an uppercut like you see a lot of swings now. It's just like a flat swing which allows Manny to get his hands up top, which also allows him to hit the outside pitch, the low pitch, and get his hands inside and turn on an inside pitch. And that's exactly what you saw here. Manny swung the bat one more time this game as he was intentionally walked his next two plate appearances. And then when he came up in the ninth inning after Jake Cronenworth walked, he smacked a foul ball. And Hector Neris then threw the rest of the pitches out of the strike zone. So... Great day for Manny Machado. He also started three of the Potters' four double plays. So certainly a very great day for Manny Machado, a day in which he was not named an all-star. I will get to that in a little bit. Padres starter Blake Snell. It was his first start since he missed his last start in Cincinnati due to a stomach bug, which they believe was from food poisoning. So Going into this game, I wasn't expecting a ton from Blake Snell, and my expectations are already really low for Blake Snell road starts because he has been really, really bad on the road this year. And like I've said, I don't know why that is. I don't know what he needs to do to fix that, but it's just a fact. Blake Snell's been horrible on the road. He had over a 10 ERA on the road coming into the game. So my expectations were really, really low for a Blake Snell start today. And to say he pitched well, I think would be wrong. But to say he pitched bad would certainly be wrong. He gave the Potters four innings, which isn't too far off of what he's been doing, especially on the road. Only allowed two hits. Did walk four guys. He was able to strike out three guys, two of which were Bryce Harper. But the thing about Blake Snell was that he threw 81 pitches and 39 of them were balls. Sorry, 39 of them were strikes. So 42 of them were balls in If you're Blake Snell, you're not going to be able to ever get away with that. He got lucky that he was able to roll as many ground ball plays, ground ball double plays as he did. And you know what? He got his ERA below five. He gave the Potters four innings of work after Chris Paddock went seven and Hugh Darvish went six. So the Potters, they got what they needed on Blake Snell, which was to keep themselves in the ballgame. And when Blake Snell left, the Potters were up five to nothing. So I tip my cap and I applaud Blake Snell for starting after he wasn't able to make his last start. And him not allowing a run to, frankly, what is a very good offense for the Philadelphia Phillies. So good job, Blake Snell. Austin Adams then came in and threw a scoreless fifth. Craig Stammen, he allowed the only run in this game on a solo home run from JT Muto, who is the best catcher in all of baseball. And I really don't think there's that much of a discussion for that. Stammen pitched fine, only went one inning. He also allowed a double to Reese Hoskins, but 18 pitches, 12 strikes, was able to get his three outs, and he limited the damage to only one run. Emilio Pagan came in, and he looked fantastic. He recorded five outs, Pagan did, and he got two of them on a double play, which was one of the five turned once again 
but he got five outs on 11 pitches. And not only that, but Pagan, his spot came up in the order in the seventh inning before he came back out to pitch the eighth. So Pagan got the hit. And as far as I'm concerned, and I I didn't see any stat or anything during the game, because of course, if it was the Padres broadcast, they might have shown a stat about Pagan hitting and mentioned it was his first at bat as a Padre, but I didn't see anything or hear anything about that. He looked good at the plate. I won't lie. Uh, he had a pretty good swing. And he hit two foul balls that were struck pretty well. So I was pretty impressed with Pagan at the plate. But obviously, I was far more impressed with what he did on the mound. He did allow a hit, but like I said, got the double play after it. Drew Pomerantz came in and got the next better out on two pitches. So great job from those guys. And then Nick Ramirez was able to come in in the ninth. Mark Melanson, who was also named to the Oscar team, was warming up to pitch the ninth as it was a four-run game. Melanson hadn't been used in the last two games after blowing the save. You know, you just want to get him a little bit of work in before coming home. It is an afternoon game, so he has a little bit of extra rest before the Potters 7-10 start on Monday against the Washington Nationals. But the Potters scored six runs in the ninth inning, and the inning started off horribly. Tommy Pham struck out against Hector Neris on three pitches. Fernando Tatis Jr. struck out against Hector Neris on three pitches. And then Jake Cronenworth was down 0-2. And for those of you who don't know, an immaculate inning is when a pitcher throws nine pitches, all nine are strikes, and all three batters he faced strike out. He struck out the first two on three pitches, and then he had Jake Cronenworth down 0-2. So he was one strike away from throwing an immaculate inning, which is a very rare feat. There have been less than 100 in Major League history, so... Obviously, you put that number into perspective. It doesn't happen very often. Actually, Chad Green of the New York Yankees, he threw one tonight. So there would have been two immaculate innings had Hector Neris struck out Jake Cronenworth on his ninth pitch. He did not. The pitch actually just missed. And then Jake Cronenworth worked a walk. Manny Machado also worked a walk. And then the Potters ended up scoring six runs in this inning. Three of them came on an Eric Hosmer double after he worked himself into a full count, and then he fought off a couple of foul balls, then punched the ball down the third base line. It rolled. It was a full count, so the runners were going. Trent Grisham would not have scored if he wasn't running on the pitch, but since he was, he was able to get around and score, and the Potters were able to take an 8-1 to lead there, and then Webster Rivas came up with two outs, and after Neris threw two pitches, keep in mind it was raining at this point. The rain was coming down pretty hard in this game. The mound was super messed up. And he was complaining about the mound. So the Philadelphia Phillies grounds crew came in. They were fixing it. And it's the ninth inning. There's two outs. The Potters are up by seven at this point. Like they really could have just called the game. That's what they honestly could have done. But Neris was complaining about the mound. They fixed it. it. Took about two or three minutes. And then he comes in first pitch. Webster Rivas was just sitting fastball. He did not miss it. And he put it over the fence to make it 11 to one. Then Nick Ramirez threw a scoreless ninth inning to wrap up the game for the Padres victory. And yeah, I thought it was a, a great game for the by the Padres. They definitely could have scored some more runs prior to that ninth inning, but they missed out on a couple of opportunities. Trent Grisham, he stranded five guys in the game, or maybe it was four. No, it was five because Manny Machado and his two intentional walks uh, got stranded with two outs. The first time was bases loaded, and the second time it was just first and second. But great game. Fernando Tatis Jr. had a great game. Jake Cronenworth had a great game. Obviously, Manny Machado was really good. Grisham went one for five. Eric Hosmer got two hits. He had three RBIs. Profar, he also had a great game. And I went to a Padres game on last Saturday. 
Profar's average was down, I think it was like 210, 212-ish. It's not up to 237. He's had a very good hitting week. In the field, it's been very, very bad for Profar as of late, but if his bat keeps going, you're, you're going to hear not as many complaints from me because obviously hitting is more important than fielding as we have been showcased this season by Fernando Tatis Jr. So great win for the San Diego Padres. The pitching staff was phenomenal. The lineup was very good, and they capitalized on most of their opportunities. They only left seven runners on base and went six for 10 with runners in scoring position. So that was cool. Did ground into three double plays. One of them was a rocket from Tommy Pham, and the other two were from Rubster Rivas. So I'm not going to sweat those three too much, but that is my series recap from the Padres series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Now that I'm done recapping the series against the Philadelphia Phillies, I will talk about the San Diego Padres All-Stars and just the conversation about the All-Star game. So the Padres, obviously Fernando Tatis Jr., he was voted in by the fans to be starting the All-Star game, so don't need to talk about that. But there were three Padres that were selected to the All-Star game, and those three Padres are Yu Darvish, starting pitcher, Mark Melanson, closer and jake cronenworth second base so pretty cool the potters they actually lead the national league in all stars with four so i thought that was pretty cool they're not tied with another team they have the nl leading four all stars so i think that's pretty cool and if you look at it it's three of the potters top four guys in war and then mark melanson who he only comes in for an inning per game so I think this is pretty cool, and I don't think that I would have had it any other way when you look at this current roster construction. So let's talk about the three guys who are named to the All-Star game, talk about some potential snubs from the Padres, and maybe why they weren't in and who they would replace. So Jake Cronenworth, he got in. He's listed as a second baseman for the team, and he could have been listed as the reserve. There are a couple of other good options who could have been named, but Cronenworth is a reserve. There is also Ozzie Albies who was named to the All-Star game as a reserve. So you might not see a ton from Jake Cronenworth. You may not see him at all, but he will be there. He will be with the league's best players and you will get his name called on national television and in front of all the fans who will be at Coors Field for the All-Star game, including myself. So I think that's going to be cool. And I'm very happy that Cronenworth was named to the team. Hitting this, These are stats prior to Sunday's game hitting 275 with a 347 OBP and a 457 slug. That's an 804 OPS, which is good for a 128 OPS plus. Those numbers they all went up because Cronenworth had a very good day at the plate on Sunday. So Cronenworth for second base definitely worthy. I thought he should have been starting at second base, and that's obviously my unbiased opinion. So shout out to Jake Cronenworth. Great season so far, certainly worthy of being an all-star and seeing the team's reaction to him getting told by Jace Tingler that he's going to be an all-star for the first time and then seeing his reaction and his conversation post-game, I thought was pretty cool and a big congratulations to Jake Cronenworth. He's definitely been a big reason of why the Padres have taken that step from one of the worst teams in the league to one of the best teams in the league. So congrats to Jake Cronenworth. The other two players who were selected to the All-Star game, Yu Darvish, certainly deserving. 102 innings pitched, 123 strikeouts, a 2.65 ERA in 17 games, a 138 OPS, a 138 ERA plus. So fantastic season so far from Yu Darvish. 
and 100% worthy of being an all-star. Definitely one of the best starting pitchers in the game, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you Darvish pitch. The other player from the Potters who was selected, Mark Melanson, leads all of baseball, 25 saves. That's normally a good sign that you're going to be making the all-star game. 35 innings pitch for Mark Melanson for 25 saves, 2.27 ERA, and a 1.206 whip. There are closers with better numbers, but I still think Mark Melanson deserved to be in this all-star game. So, um, like I said, I, I come on this podcast and I give you on my honestly unbiased opinion. I think that Kenley Jansen deserves to be an all-star, and I know a lot of Potters fans probably aren't going to want to hear that, but it, I wouldn't have been like super upset if Kenley would have been named over Melanson, and Kenley's been through a lot, and obviously I like to see... I mean, I'm 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 so I'm talking about this as a Padres fan. I like to see him fail because that means the Dodgers are failing. And um, but Kenley's been through a lot, and he, he's rebounded from that this year. So I think that he deserves to be an All Star as well. But certainly glad that Melanson is in this All Star game, and he'll be representing the Padres. And rightfully, if Melanson's in this All Star game, he leads the major league in saves. He should probably be the guy closing it out for the National League if they get in that situation. Now, Melanson of late hasn't been as good, so. Uh, maybe that wouldn't be a great idea if you're Dave Roberts, but uh, by process, he's been technically like the best closer by having the most saves. So I think that he should be uh, should be closing out this All Star game with the National League's winning in the ninth because they will be the home team. So I think that's pretty cool. Some snubs for the Potters. There's of course always snubs, and I think one that stands out to me is Joe Musgrove. Very similar numbers. To you, Darvish, some people could argue he's having a better season. I personally would not, but 89 innings for Musgrove, a 2.63 ERA compared to Darvish's 2.65, a 0.876 whip compared to Darvish's 9.51. So that, of course, is better. And 106 strikeouts in there. So he's averaging 10.7 strikeouts per nine, while Darvish is averaging 10.9 strikeouts per nine. Very similar seasons, but you see it, you Darvish, he's got 102 innings pitched, Joe Musgrove only 89. So when you're looking at that, you say, well, if Joe's working deeper into games, could he be putting up the numbers that you Darvish is? I don't know if that answer is yes. So if you put a gun to Dave Roberts' head and said, here are these two resumes with these innings pitched, you can take one of these pitchers, and if you put a gun to my head and you said, pick one of these two, to be in the All-Star game, there's one pitching spot left. I would have selected you, Darvish. And I think that they made the right decision taking Darvish over Musgrove. I hope that some pitchers bow out. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that DeGrom, who would definitely start for the National League if he was playing this game, that he will opt out because he uh, he has had some injuries this year. And Musgrove could be a guy who replaces him. I haven't looked at any other snubs, but... I mean, when you look at it, here's how we're going to break this down. Because you look at these pitchers, and we're going to look at the starters, and I'm going to say whether or not I think they're all-star game worthy. And you look at it, and there's, of course, some discretion with it. Jacob deGrom, obviously an all-star. Kevin Goss, obviously an all-star. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, obviously Darvish, we talked about it. All-stars. Herman Marquez, he is the only Rockies representative in this all-star game. So 
He is representing them, so it's impossible to put Joe Musgrove over Marquez. Alex Reyes, been a very good closer for the Cardinals this year, worthy of being an all-star. Trevor Rogers, the only Miami Marlins representative in this all-star game, so you can't put Musgrove in over him. And Zach Wheeler, certainly worthy of being an all-star. So I don't know who you take off this list in terms of the guys who, like, uh, there are multiple representatives from their team, but... Musgrove certainly worthy of being there. He's been just as good as a lot of these guys. And I hope that some of them bow out and that Musgrove can hear his name called along with some of these other Padres and players. And if these guys opt to not go to the all-star game or if they're injured currently, like say Mike Trout is, they still go and they still get their name called. So they still get the recognition of being the all-star, but they need to have enough slots for players to play in this game. And Joe Musgrove could be a potential Padres replacement for that. All right, the other snub is very clearly Manny Machado. A lot of Potters fans were very upset that he wasn't a member of this all-star team. And listen, I get it. Manny Machado, he's great, getting paid a ton of money, and he's certainly worthy of being an all-star. He's certainly playing better than what his numbers would show you, but here's the reality of the situation. It's the same thing that I was just talking about. There can only be so many third basemen selected into the all-star game, and The third baseman for the selection after the reserves was Eduardo Escobar, who was the only representative for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So Machado can't go in front of him. And so at that point, Dave Roberts is choosing between Chris Bryant and Manny Machado. And he ended up taking Chris Bryant. And I will give some respect to Dave Roberts. I thought he was going to pick Justin Turner to be that utility guy. But he took Chris Bryant. And Chris Bryant had... An amazing first half to start this year. In the last three weeks, he's been awful. He's been like so bad. Like his name is being thrown around less in trade discussions. But I would have loved to see Manny Machado here. It's just whether or not Dave Roberts and Major League Baseball and the players wanted to pick Bryant over him. And I don't know why they didn't pick Machado over Bryant, but I can also see why Bryant was picked here in this situation. Uh, Same with Max Muncy and Chris Taylor. They were the other utility guys, but those guys are also having really good seasons. Really wish Manny Machado could represent the San Diego Padres here. He's got seven other years on his contract to represent the Padres in the All-Star game. And if any one of these guys decides to not participate, Manny Machado will be there and he will represent the Padres. I really hope he gets to because there are some idiots on Twitter who like to argue that, well, Manny Machado, he's never been an All-Star as a Padre. Listen, we know what Manny Machado is capable of and what he's done for the San Diego Padres. And Manny, he means so much more to the Padres than what his numbers say. So I'm not even worried. And I commented this on his Instagram post. I mean, this was me as a fan. I know you should be there, Manny. You are certainly worthy of being an all-star. But I know that if you don't get selected to that team, you're going to enjoy your couple of days off. And you're going to come back in the second half of the season. You're going to haunt pitchers. And you're going to haunt the hitters who hit the ball to you. So... If Manny's not selected, I'm obviously going to be frustrated because I'd love to cheer on Manny Machado up at Coors Field, and I'd love to see him represent the Potters in this game, but I know that Manny's going to spend that time off well, and he's going to take full advantage of it if that is the case. So that is my discussion about the All-Stars, and now I will preview the series against the Washington Nationals. This will be a four-game series at Petco Park. First three games starting at 7-10, and the fourth one on Thursday will be starting at 6-10. 
Jace Tangler, he opted to not give away who he will be starting for the course of the series. And I I mean, that makes sense given what has gone down with the Potters rotation in recent days with Lamette, Musgrove, and Snell. So I get it, but kind of sucked to not be able to know who was going to be starting going into this podcast. Happens. I get it. He did say that Musgrove will be starting on Monday, so... That is all that we know, just going based off of what has been lined up. It's Weathers Tuesday, on Wednesday it's Paddock, and then on Thursday it would be Darvish. So we really don't know, but that is what we can assume. I couldn't find any information on Twitter about who the Nationals had, but on ESPN they have it scheduled as Lester, Corbin, Scherzer, and then Espino. I have no idea who Espino is, but uh, John Lester, Patrick Corbin, and Max Scherzer are Obviously, two very well-known names or three very well-known names in Major League Baseball. So the Washington Nationals, they've been a really weird team this year. A lot of people had some expectations for them, as did I. I said they would be the first team out of the Major League playoffs in the National League, but they uh, they currently are not that. They're at 40-42 and 42 after losing to the Dodgers, getting swept by them this weekend. They, of course, couldn't help out the Padres, but... I think it's more about what the Dodgers have done because they have won nine straight. It's a very talented team here in Washington. And if they don't pick things up here in the next month, they could be sellers at the deadline. So you definitely want to be careful against a team like this, especially in a four game series with a lot of experience. Some nationals who have been playing well, Kyle Schwarber, he is on the injured list. Super unfortunate. I was really looking forward to seeing Schwarber be able to play against the Padres. Uh, Hopefully he wouldn't do too much damage, but uh, as the baseball fan, I'm, I'm attending the game Monday, but I uh, I would have loved to see Kyle Schwarber. I unfortunately will not get the chance to do that. Neither will Padres fans. Trey Turner, he is one of the best shortstops in all of baseball. He was also named to the all-star team. He is currently dealing with an injury. I did find on Twitter that Martinez thinks that he will be able to return in the middle of this week. So that could mean Tuesday. That could mean Wednesday. That could mean Thursday. It also could mean Friday. So we don't know. He is not on the injured list. So we will see as that goes, but you have been warned. Trey Turner, do not expect to see him starting on Monday, but you could be seeing him later on in the series. The starters for them, like I mentioned, Lester, Scherzer, Corbin, and Espino. Let's look at those guys. Scherzer, Obviously, one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. He's not on the National League All-Star team, and I think he's a guy that would be selected to the team before Joe Musgrove, but we'll see. A 2.10 ERA in 94 innings with 127 strikeouts. I don't get how that wasn't on the All-Star team. If they would have put him in front of you, Darvish, I wouldn't have complained, really. I honestly would have. He's been that good. Patrick Corbin has not been as good. Neither has John Lester. And when you look at Apollo Espino, he's been pretty good. Uh, only 40 innings, though, so kind of a small sample size. And only four of those have been starts, but he's a 2.48 ERA. Only 28 strikeouts in that time, so not a lot of swing and miss in his game. That's someone the Potters can certainly take advantage of. But Corbin in 87 innings, 5.56 ERA. And John Lester's 57 innings, a 5.34 ERA. So Padres, they can take advantage of that starting rotation with the exception of Max Scherzer, who was going on Wednesday. Uh, I think they have some very favorable matchups in there. So you like to see that for the San Diego Padres. Their bullpen for the Nationals, it's it's solid. It's not great. It's not bad, but it's solid. Brad Hand has been their closer. He has 18 of their 20 saves so far 
on the season. And Brad, very familiar to Potters fans, was an all-star representative for them, I believe, in 2018. So certainly cool for him to come back to Petco Park. I think this is his first time back because he went to the Cleveland Indians, and I don't believe the Potters have faced them since then. And it probably hasn't been at Petco Park. So if he comes in, that would be cool to see him get a ovation from the crowd because he was a very good San Diego Padre. 34 innings, 2.6 ERA for them on the year. Austin Voth has been a good reliever for them, a 3.65 ERA in 37 innings. Outside of that, not too many good guys who are healthy. Daniel Hudson, who was their closer in the playoffs during their World Series run, he is a 2.59 ERA. He's on the injured list. Tanner Rainey, who is expected to be one of their better guys, he's not having a great year, but he's also on the injured list with a 6.93 ERA. And Kyle Finnegan is also on the injured list. He was having a good year, a 3.86 ERA. But Wander Suaro, 3.13 ERA. Ryan Harper, 0.93 ERA. They have a couple of talented arms out there, so we'll be interesting to see how their bullpen does against the San Diego Padres. Their lineup, it's a solid lineup. There's nothing really that, like, you know, pops out at you, like, oh my, like, this is, like, world-changing. It's a good lineup. They've got their really good hitters. They've got some not-as-good hitters, so... Let's look at them. Juan Soto, I think the world of Juan Soto. He's not having as great of a year as many thought, but he's still hitting 278 with a 399 OBP and a 138 OPS plus, so clearly better than league average. Trey Turner, 148 OPS plus, and that doesn't include his 18 stolen bases, which no longer lead Major League Baseball as Fernando Tatis Jr. does lead the National League in stolen bases. Josh Bell, he's having a lot better of a season after a slow start. He's got a 111 OPS plus. Jan Gomes, 110 OPS plus. Ryan Zimmerman, 111 OPS plus. Josh Harrison, hitting 354 with a 109 OPS plus. That's an older name, 33 years old, but you can still play it at second base. So that's obviously cool to see. That's really it. Then they have a couple of guys who aren't as good. Uh, just try, want to try and navigate the big bats, especially Juan Soto and Trey Turner when he returns. But Josh Bell can obviously haunt you. Jan Gomes and Josh Harrison, they're having good years. And same with Ryan Zimmerman. So will be an interesting series, to say the least. I'm expecting the Potters to at least split the series. A win would be preferred. The Nationals are a good team. They came into Peco in 2019 and split the series. So we'll see. I would love the Potters to win this series. Um, I'm, I don't want to say I'm expecting them to, but uh, you know, with these four game series, you, you got to keep your expectations tempered because you're going to see bullpen arms multiple times and the nationals, they're a very talented team. So we'll be interesting series. That's going to wrap up this episode of devil's talking Padres. Thank you for listening to me talk for almost 40 minutes about the San Diego Padres. Uh, it means a lot that you guys come on and listen to this episode multiple times a week because that is when we record our series preview and recap for every single series. Bobby should be returning next episode. I probably won't be. And if that happens, there may not be an episode for this upcoming series. My girlfriend comes to town and I don't want to be recording a podcast while she's here. So if that happens, there will not be an episode. If Bobby doesn't want to record one by himself, he has yet to do that. So I'm not sure what his comfortability is doing that, but If not, that's fine. No worries about that. But we thank you for tuning in to this episode of Devil's Talking Padres. Once again, subscribe or follow the podcast depending on your podcast platform that you prefer. 
and follow me on Twitter at DMstern19. And while you're at it, you might as well follow Bobby at BobbyMurphy2000 on Twitter. We thank you for tuning in. We will catch you next episode and go Padres.